Lord. Today we are looking in the book of James chapter number 1. The book of James chapter number 1. James chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading with verse number 21. This morning read down and include verse number 27. James writes, and he says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, and be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Taking my text from verse number 22, James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The title of my message today is Just Do It. Just Do It. Father, thank you, Father, for the word of the Lord today. It is indeed a lamp unto our feet. It is indeed a light unto our path. Father, we just pray that your anointing, Lord, will rest upon the message and upon the messenger today. Father, give us ears to hear, but Father, may we not only hear, but Father, may we become a doer of the word and not simply a hearer. Father, we ask these things for the glory of the Lord. All of God's people said, praise the Lord, and you may be reseated this morning. I don't know about you this morning, but I agree with Nike. Just do it. Have you ever wanted to tell somebody that? You know, I know people that have been talking about the same old thing for years. This past August when I was in Phoenix for general counsel, I saw a pastor that, that I've known, I counted it up, I've known him for 32 years. That's a long time, isn't it? 32 years. I had not seen this pastor, I had not talked to him in several years, and yet when we went out to lunch and he began to talk, he began to tell me the very same thing that he wanted to do, the very same thing that I have heard him talking about doing for years. I wanted to say, stop talking about it and just do it. Well, perhaps you're here this morning and you need somebody to say that to you this morning, just do it. Well, someone just did. This morning I want to talk to you about some things that we need to stop doing and some things that we need to start doing. And let's start with stop. You're tough. Let me suggest some things we need to stop doing this morning. First of all, we need to stop allowing. We need to stop allowing. What, what is it this morning that you need to stop allowing? Let me suggest two things that I believe we need to stop allowing. The first of all this morning is sin. 
We need to stop allowing sin. James 1 and 21 that we read, the James said, get rid of all the filth and the evil in your life. Hey, that ought to just be a given, shouldn't it? For the people of God, for the chosen of God, for, for the saints of God, it ought to be just a, a given that we need to get rid of all of the filth and all of the evil in our life. Let me tell you something, friend. I have never seen a day, and I've been around for a few years now, and I have never seen a day where people wanted to walk with God and run with the world at the same time like I see it happening today. Too many people today want to party with Satan on Saturday night, and then they want to praise with the saints on Sunday morning. They're like the man in the Civil War who couldn't decide who he wanted to fight for, and so he put on a blue coat and a gray pair of pants, and both sides shot him. I think it's time that we decide whose side that we are on. I believe that it's time for the people of God, amen, to stand up and be counted for God. I believe it's time that God's people begin to act like God's people. Too many people today claim to love God, and yet they look like the world, they act like the world, they think like the world, they talk like the world. Now, I know that I'm going to be uh, branded judgmental this morning. I know I'm going to be branded this morning. Oh, intolerant. I know I'm going to be branded out of touch this morning. But listen, my responsibility is to preach the truth. And let me tell you something. There is, there is a grievance. Amen. My spirit is grieved today. Amen. Over the people of God and how they live and how they act and how they walk and how they talk. I believe we need to be a different people. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6 and 17, Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And God said, If you do that, I will receive you. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. How the old has passed away, and behold, all has become new. I'm telling you, if you're in Christ today, if Jesus Christ lives and abides in your life, amen, you're going to be separated from the world. You're going to look different than the world. You're going to think different than the world. You're going to talk different than the world. You're going to act different than the world does. James said in James 1 and 27, keep yourselves unspotted from the world. Let me tell you, there is a long list of sin that the Bible is very, very clear on. It is black and white. It is plain as day. I know we're living in a generation, and we're living in a time today, when, 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 and especially our generation today, that wants to argue about everything. They want to question everything. And maybe there are some things we could argue about. And maybe there are some things, amen, that maybe we've gone a little bit too far in. Maybe there's some things that we've made too big a deal out of. But I want to tell you that the Word of the Lord, uh, amen, has a whole long list of things that is black and white, plain as day. Uh, amen, thou shalt and thou shalt not. Things like lying and cheating and stealing and drunkenness and sexual immorality and pornography and lust and the list goes on and on. I'm telling you this morning, there ought to be a major difference between the sinner and the saint. We need to stop allowing sin in our life. But not only sin, we need to stop allowing suggestive behavior. Suggestive behavior. Too many Christians love to see just how close to the edge that they can get to sin. Just how close to the edge they can get to sinful behavior without fully embracing it. 
I mean, they remind me of the chameleon lizard. We understand that a chameleon lizard is able to change its color in order to blend in with its surrounding. Whatever the surrounding color is, they are able to change their color that they will blend in. And I'll tell you, there's too many of God's people today that change their color depending upon who they're with. They change their attitude. They change their their, their, their way of talking, their way of thinking, their way of doing. I mean, depending on who they are with, when they're with the church crowd, they know how to be churchy. And when they're with the world, they know how to be worldly. Amen. They don't use profanity, but they do what I call Christian cussing. Yeah, they, they don't actually use the word that we call cussing, but they've got a substitute. They, they, they don't go so far as using the word, but, but they use a word that's close. Or they use sexual innuendos. They won't actually say it, but, but they will use an innuendo or they will imply or they will make suggestive comments or they will use inappropriate comments and gestures. And they go so far as to put it on Facebook so a whole world can see. And then they wonder why nobody respects them. And they wonder why nobody wants to follow them. And they wonder why nobody takes their faith seriously. Now hear me this morning. I'm not talking about turning into some kind of a prude. And God knows we've got plenty of them in the church. I'm not talking about turning into some kind of prude. I'm not talking about becoming super spiritual. I'll tell you, the super spiritual get on my nerves about as much as the worldly do. And if that's spiritual, I don't want to be spiritual. I'm not talking about turning into some kind of prude. I'm, I'm not talking about becoming culturally Ill, uh, irrelevant. That's a turn off to the world too. When the church is in the you know, 19th century, when we're really in the 21st, Listen, friend, you can be in touch and you can be relevant without stepping over the line and joining the ranks of the world. Jesus said in Luke 12 and 48, where much is given, much is required. They talk to those of us that are in leadership and those of us that are in ministry. People in leadership, people who have been trusted with ministry, have a higher standard of judgment. I'm not going to be judged with the same judgment you're going to be judged. I'm going to be judged at a higher level. More is expected of me than is expected of you. And the higher that we go in ministry, the higher the standard uh, of our judgment is going to be. More is expected of those of us who are in full-time ministry. I said the greater the responsibility in ministry you have, the greater the standard. Let me just tell you something this morning. People who are not willing to accept this higher standard, uh, amen, should not be in ministry. 
I'm going to tell you, there's a whole lot of people that I think they would do us a big favor if they got out of ministry. I said, it would do us a whole, I think there's some people that need to step out of ministry, amen, if they don't want to walk the walk as well as talk the talk, if they don't want to come up to the standard, amen, if they don't want to walk holy, if they don't want to walk godly, amen, if they don't want to be an example for people to follow, amen, if they're not willing to raise their standard of living and raise their standard of righteousness, I'm telling you, you're doing us more harm than you are doing us good, get out. Ephesians 4 and 1, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. There's some things that we need to stop doing. We need to stop allowing. Not only do we need to stop allowing, we need to stop agonizing. You know, some Christians' favorite companion is worry. They agonize over everything. They agonize over their problems. Everybody has problems. Did you know that? Did you know everybody has problems? But to some, it's like they are the only ones that have any problems. Or their problem is is like nobody else's. I mean, their problems are bigger, badder, blacker, broader than, than anybody else. Elijah felt that way in 1 Kings chapter 19. You know the story of how that, that he had shut up the heavens for three and a half years and how he had the, the showdown at the OK Corral on Mount Carmel and, and how, how, how God uh, answered prayer for him and, 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 and how God opened them the heavens and brought rain after three and a half years of drought and, and, and all of those mighty and incredible and unbelievable, unbelievable miraculous things that happen in the life of Elijah. And then, and then one day he gets a little threatening uh, uh, cablegram, amen, a little email uh, he, he gets from, from Queen Jesse. And he's so, it's so bad. It's so terrible. It's, his problem is, is, it's unbelievable to him. And so, and so he finds him a, he finds him a juniper tree and he lays under the juniper tree and he begs God to kill him. Ask God to let him die. Oh, his theme song was gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Oh, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Elijah was certainly agonizing over his problem. Some agonize over their past. Let me tell you something, friend. You cannot live life looking in the rearview mirror. Let me ask you this morning, have you, have you made mistakes in the past? Do you have skeletons in your closet? Well, join the club. Join the club. Nobody gets out of life without making their share of mistakes. Let me give you three things to do about a mistake this morning. Three things you need to do about a mistake. The first thing you need to do is admit it. Admit it. Own it. Confess it. But not only do you need to admit it, then the second thing you need to do, you need to quit it. Stop making the same mistake. It's not the unpardonable sin to make a mistake, but my goodness, it's the third time you've made the same mistake? Come on. 
admit it, quit it, and then forget it. That's what you need to do about a mistake. You need to admit it, you need to quit it, and then you need to forget it. Paul said in Philippians 3 and 13, forget those things that are behind you and reach forward to those things that are ahead of you. Stop agonizing. Stop agonizing over your problems, over your past. How about over possibilities? Possibilities in Numbers chapter 13, the children of Israel, they got so worked got so worked up over the negative possibilities of the promised land. The giants, the walled, fortified cities. Oh, oh, they make this huge list of reasons why they can't. And this giant reason, oh, and list of why they can't totally causes them to forget why they can. You say, why can they? Because God promised them. Listen, friend, God's promises trumps all negative possibilities. So stop agonizing over negative possibilities. Oh, the economy. Oh, pastor, the recession. Oh, the layoffs. Oh, pastor, the unemployed. Oh, the new uh, administration. Oh, pastor, the this, the that, the other. Let me tell you, there has always been the this, the that, and the other. Stop agonizing over the negative possibilities and start focusing on the positive promises. Nike says, just do it. There's some things we need to stop doing. We need to stop allowing and stop agonizing. And we we need to stop analyzing. We need to stop analyzing. Somebody said, too much analysis leads to paralysis. Let me tell you something. If Peter would have spent a lot of time analyzing, he never would have experienced the thrill of walking on the water. If David would have spent a lot of time analyzing, he never would have picked up those five smooth stones, amen, and went after that giant named Goliath. And I tell you this morning, if we spend too much time analyzing over our situations, we will never do anything. Now hear me clearly. Hear everything I have to say this morning. I'm not saying don't analyze. We should do our due diligence. We should develop a plan. We should do our investigating and our research. What I'm saying this morning is don't overanalyze because too much analysis leads to paralysis. You know, there was a myriad of reasons why the paralytic's four friends, why they should not have taken off the roof and lowered their friend down into the presence of Jesus. There was a myriad of reasons why they should not have done that. The biggest reason was, it was not their house. How would you like to be at home and you hear noise coming from your roof and it's somebody taking off the shingles, somebody taking off Amen. Your roof, you might not be. There is a myriad of reasons why, why they shouldn't do what they have done. But too much analysis in this situation would have certainly led to paralysis. But somebody said, let's just do it. And because they did it, amen, they got their friend into the presence of Jesus. And because they did it, amen, their friend that came paralyzed and on a stretcher was able to roll his stretcher up, throw it over his shoulder, and walk home. I've got a word for somebody today, and that word is just 
do it. Well, I've given you three, re- three things we need to stop doing. Now let's talk about four things we need to start doing. We don't just need to stop doing some things. There's some things we need to start doing. James chapter 4 and verse 17 says, Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. What did James say it was? What is James saying? Just do it. What is James saying? You know what to do, so just do it. And he said, if you know what to do, but you do not do it, he said, you have sinned. So let me share four things with you this morning that that we need to start doing. First of all, this morning, I think we need to start obeying. We need to start obeying. James 1 and 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. He said, if you're only a hearer and not a doer, then you are deceiving your own self. Let me challenge you this morning to to go home and and read Deuteronomy chapter number 28. I want you to read Deuteronomy chapter 28. When you get home, not now, please. And I want you to note the blessings, uh, amen, that come from obedience. And I also want you to note the curses, amen, that come through disobedience. And I ask you this morning, why in the world would anybody not want all of these blessings that come with obedience? And why in the world would anybody want all the curses that come with disobedience? I challenge you this morning, start obeying the Scripture, all of the Scripture. Uh, Amen. And don't forget, partial obedience is disobedience. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Not only do we need to start obeying, we need to start objecting. We need to start objecting. Acts 5 and 29 said we ought to obey God rather than man. Now, God's Word teaches us to obey man's law. Amen? The Bible says that God has placed man in authority. And the Bible says that we are to obey the law of the land. We are to obey man's law unless. Only one reason why you should not obey man's law. Obey man's law unless man's law contradicts. God's law. In Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar set up an idol and he commanded that every time music was played that everybody would have to bow down and worship the golden idol that he had made. And everybody did except three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And why did they object? Because they knew that God's law forbid the worship of any other God. And they knew that God's law trumps man's law. Let me ask you this morning, do you ever object to anything? Do you ever object to anything? When your boss asks you to change a number on a, on a form at work in order to make him look good, or when your boss asks you to lie for him, or when your boss, amen, asks you to, to say that he was there when he wasn't, or, you know, anything like that, what, how, how do you respond? What do you do? 
Do we object when man's law goes against God's law? Or do we just go along to get along? Do we just remain silent? Amen. Just so that we will not rock the boat. Listen, it's time that, that God's people stood up and objected for, about some things. We've set back long enough. Christians have set back and let prayer be taken out of schools. Amen. We have set back and allowed them to, oh, to, to, to promote abortion on demand. Well, somebody would say, well, pastor, you know, you can't les- legislate morality. Why not? They legislate immorality. It's time for the people of God to start objecting about some things. Are we against anything anymore? Those of you that are my age or older, remember a day and remember a time. Amen. That was just about the extent of the preaching was preaching against this and that and something else. One pastor told a young pastor, said, when you run out of things to preach against, just preach against eating chocolate. Tell them it'll give them pimples. And some of us went through a day when you walked crooked, you were sent to hell. I mean, everything was wrong. And I'm, I'm not trying to bash people from years gone by, but I'm telling you that the pendulum has, spent, has swung too far from where it was. It was too far one way, now it's too far the other way. Does anybody stand up for anything? Does anybody, is anybody against anything today? I mean, we've got pastors of mega churches that brag that they don't preach against anything. And they get on nationwide TV and brag about never, never, never preaching against anything. It'll always be a positive message when you come to my church, they say. Well, let me tell you, you're not always going to get a positive message. I'm going to spin it. Finally, it'll be positive before we're getting out of here. But I'm going to tell you, there's this, in order to have electricity, you've got to have a positive and a negative. And there's some negative things in the Word of God. And there's some things that are black and white in the Word of God. Hey, man, it's time for God's man to stand up one more time and declare the Word of the Lord. Amen. Well, pastor, the church needs to be more tolerant. Let me tell you something. I agree that we need to be more loving and tolerant in areas of preference. Most of the World War III that goes on in the church is nothing but preference. We need to be a little more tolerant about preference. We shouldn't get so bent out of shape about style and personal preference. And minor differences in doctrine. Minor differences in doctrine. And friend, no matter how horrible the sin, we should still love the sinner. But we should object when man's law goes against God's law. Not only should we start obeying and objecting, we should start observing. Everybody needs a mentor. Everybody needs an example to follow. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Wow. Wow, Paul. He said in Philippians 4 and 9, he said the things that you learned, the things you received, the things that you heard, the things that you saw in me, Paul said. Not in Jesus, in me, Paul said. Paul said that. 
Philippians 4, 9, the things which you learned, received, heard, saw in me. These do. And the God of peace will be with you. We need to start observing. We need to start looking around. Is there somebody excelling in their marriage? And I don't mean somebody that's been married three, four, five years. Find somebody that has done it right for 20, 25, 30, 40, 50 years. And observe them. How they talk about their spouse. How they talk to their spouse. How they treat their spouse. Observe them. What is it about them that separates them from all the rest? Look around this morning. Is there somebody who has produced some incredible kids? With all the delinquents running around today, is there somebody that is producing some godly, incredible kids? Observe them. What is it that they have done differently that their kids are turning out so great? Look around. Find somebody that's done well financially. Look around. Find somebody who has impeccable character and integrity. Look around. Who is it that has a great testimony as a faithful child of God? Find these people. Observe these people. Implement what you learn from them into your own life. Just do it. Talking about what we should start doing, let me give you one more this morning. We need to start overpowering. We need to stop allowing the devil to trick us and manipulate us and seduce us. Jesus says that Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But the Bible also teaches that, that we can overpower the devil. The Bible also teaches us that we have several God-given weapons that are far more powerful than any weapon that the devil might have. Weapons like the weapon of the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's no power in my name. There's no power in the name of the Assemblies of God or any other organized uh, church. Amen. But there is power. Amen. Wonder-working power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to learn how, amen, to use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to overpower the devil. And then there's the weapon of prayer. Now, it's not much a weapon if all you ever do is now I lay me down to sleep. Or God is good, God is great, bless his food on this plate. But I'm telling you, friend, that if you will be a prayer warrior, uh, amen, if you will be an intercessor, uh, amen, if you'll get down on your prayer knees and your prayer bones, amen, if you will begin to pray and talk to God, I'm telling you there is power, incredible power. Uh, amen, let me tell you, friend, there's no more power in public than you gain in private. Uh, but I'm telling you that in private prayer, one-on-one -on -one time with God, I'm telling you that God can empower you. He can anoint you. He can prepare you. Uh, and when you stand and face the adversity of the day. You are a person of power because you bought and paid for the power that you have in your time of prayer. And then there's a weapon of praise. This is a weapon. It's 
That's why the devil fights this every Sunday. Amen. That's why he fights it every Sunday. Because he knows. I'm not talking about power and ability. The world has ability and talent too. Most of the time it's more than ours. Not always, but most of all. Most of the time. I'm talking about talent and ability. and I'm talking about when somebody's anointed and they lead others with an anointing into praise, into worship. Jehoshaphat recognized this as such a great, as such a great weapon that he didn't send his mighty warriors out in front of, uh, to face the battle and to lead, in, to lead in charge. No, he sent out the worship team. Now I have to admit, there's been a few worship teams I've had. I wanted to put them in the front of the battle too. But I couldn't. They shoved me out there first. I'm just having a little fun with you this morning. Well, not really. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Praise is a weapon. I had a lady in my church many years ago. She didn't show up till I started preaching. She said, I'm not wasting my time on the preliminaries. I told her one day, I said, and I called her by name. And I said, bless your heart, young lady. Uh, announcements are preliminaries, and I hate them. There's some things we do that are preliminaries. But worship and praise is not preliminaries. We're not ready to hear the word of the Lord until we get into His presence through praise and through worship. Amen. And then there's the weapon of the Word of God. The weapon of the Word of God. That's why we need to know the Word of the Lord. 1 John 4 and 4, Greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. Romans 8 and 37, We are more than conquerors through Christ. Oh, 2 Corinthians 2 and 14, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus. Friend, it's time to start doing something. It's time to start using our God-given weapons to overpower the devil. Just do it. Pastor Braden, if you'll get in place and whoever else you want with you this morning. As I close this morning, and I'm not closed yet, but as I close this morning, let me ask you today, what is it that you need to stop doing? What is it you need to stop? Do you need to stop allowing? What is it that you are allowing in your life that is not pleasing to God? What is it that you are allowing in your life that keeps people from respecting you and receiving ministry from you. Because to them, you don't act any different, talk any different, look any different than their friends in the world. And you want to lead them into the presence of God? You want to you preach to them? Or you want to lead them in worship? Or you want to teach them? Amen. And yet there are things in your life, amen, that, 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 that keeps them from respecting you and from hearing from you. What is it in your life you need to stop allowing that is not pleasing to God? What is it that you need to stop agonizing? 
What is it that causes you to embrace worry as your best companion? What is it that keeps you up at night and keeps you walking the floor? What is the cause of that giant knot in your stomach? Do you need to stop analyzing? Have you been talking about the same old thing year after year after year after year? It's time to stop analyzing and make a decision. Just do it. Let me ask you this morning, what do you need to start doing? Do you need to start obeying? You know what the scripture says. Just do it. Do you need to stop objecting? Are you against anything? I'm not talking about becoming legalistic, pharisaical, super spiritual. Please don't. But are you against anything? Do you stand up for anything? Are you for anything? Are you against anything? What do you need to start doing? Do you need to start observing? Listen, you don't have to learn everything on your own, you know. You can learn much from observing others. You can learn what to do. Sometimes you can learn what not to do. Do you need to start overpowering? Have you allowed Satan to overpower you when you have the weapons at your disposal to overpower him? Friend, whether you need to stop doing something or start doing something, I, I agree with Nike. Just do it. Just do it. Father, I pray today, Lord, that we will not be just a hearer of the word one more time. We heard one more sermon. Oh, pastor was kind of clever today. Gag. It's time not just to be a hearer of the word but become a doer. Some things we need to stop doing, some things we need to start doing. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Nobody's leaving for just a couple of moments.